Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm interviewing Neen James, a sassy woman leader, speaker, author, and executive strategist who helps people deliver better experiences by one very key action, which is paying attention. It sounds mundane and basic, right? Well, she speaks about three different levels of attention and powerful methodologies that result in more profitability, productivity, and accountability. You heard me right, attention pays, and you get to hear exactly how, why, and what you can do wherever you work. Before we get started, I have one request. If you like this show, please share with others, leave a review. It means so much to me. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Neen James. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. G'day, what a treat it is to be able to hang out with you. You've had some fabulous guests, people like Chef Hyken, Adam. You've had all of the experts on customer service. So customer experience, I'm so glad that we're here together. Yes, and I love specifically what you're doing in the world to, I call humanize business. So share with the audience who you are, what you do. So I'm an executive strategist. I grew up in corporate business in Australia. I worked in retail banking, telecommunications, and the oil industry. And at the time, there were not a lot of chicks in oil. And I'm obsessed with this whole idea of getting people to pay attention because as your listeners know, when we pay attention, companies make more money, our relationships are deeper, and we take care of the planet on which we live. So I spend a lot of my time working with C-suite executives and then working with their leadership teams to ensure that they have the strategies they need to be able to drive the profitability in their business. And you and I both know that all comes back to the way that you look after the people side, whether it's your your team members or whether it is your clients. That's really what drives this experience for them. So share why. Why are you so passionate about this? What made you make this your career choice? You know, I always had a reputation in corporate for being productive. I was always the person who could get things done. My leaders would give me a project that was behind. I could bring it back on track. They needed fundraising done. I could do it. So I didn't realize that the through line in all of my career success was productivity. I was someone who could focus and get things done. And I could also get other people to help me get things done. When I decided to leave the corporate environment and become a professional speaker, I was wondering what on earth would I talk about as a profession? Well, it sounds crazy, but one of my mentors at the time by the name of Matt Church said, you should talk about productivity. And I was like, productivity? That's crazy. Isn't everyone productive? Like I just assumed, and I think that happens a lot in when we're running businesses or in leading teams, often we're so intuitively good at something, we don't think about the value that that has for others. And so that's how I started my career. And so I was helping organizations really focus on what matters. What I realized in the evolution of my work, Stacey, is, and I said this a bazillion years ago, is you can't manage time. So the idea of productivity wasn't about time management. That's crazy. Time management, it's a crazy concept. 
it's not about time management. It's about attention management. So you can't manage time, but you can manage your attention. So that's what really led to this obsession around, okay, so if it's not about time, how do we get people to focus on what really matters? And so one of the books that I wrote, Attention Pays, was based on a lot of research and experiences from working with clients and their teams, realizing that we pay attention in different ways. And once you teach people how to do that, you can elevate the experience for everyone. So let's go into that a little bit. What? How do you teach people? What are some actionable things that people can do, especially right now when we're maybe coming out of a pandemic, maybe, um, and and everybody's anxious. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. We're we're human, and we're we we're in a new normal. So. First thing is, is paying attention different now, do you believe? And then what are ways people can be very intentional? So the premise of the book is that it's intention that makes attention valuable, right? And so when you think about it, as you're listening to this, think about the ways we pay attention. What I discovered in my research is really there's three ways we pay attention. The first way we pay attention is called personal attention. This is really about being thoughtful, okay? This is who deserves your attention. The second way we pay attention is called professional attention. This is very much about being productive. It's what deserves your attention. But the third way we pay attention is global attention, which is how do you pay attention in the world? And so if you think about who deserves your attention, what deserves your attention, and how are you paying attention, what the book unpacks is all the different ways you can do that. But let's just think about it. If you're a leader, maybe you're leading a team, maybe you're leading an organization, maybe you're leading your own business. As a leader, you want to make sure that you're prioritizing your priorities. Well, what does that mean? A very simple way you could do that is if every morning, I want to encourage you as you're listening to think about allocating just 15 minutes in the morning. And it's a strategic appointment with yourself. So what you want to do in that strategic appointment with yourself is you want to identify your top three not negotiable activities. So before your head hits the pillow tonight, what are three things you absolutely must do that will get the business moving forward? This very simple amount of 15 minutes is actually the key to productivity too, because you and I both know that people don't have an hour anymore. And so what has changed from being in-person to virtual is just that we don't have the luxury of that human connection where we can look someone in the eye and read their body language and all the nuances that we had before. We don't have that luxury anymore. And so what we have to do is we're compressing everything into smaller amounts of time, but through one tiny little lens. And so one thing to think about in how we pay attention is things that you might have been able to do in person don't necessarily translate on camera. For example, for those of you who are watching, you will notice that I keep all my gestures in the screen. So what that means is for me to connect to you, I have to keep within the frame of what the camera can see. But if I start making big gestures and my hands leave the frame, suddenly get disconnected. And so I think what's also happened, Stacey, is we're so tired. We're tired of 
We're just over everything. We're overwhelmed. We're overstressed. We're overtired. We're over COVID. We're over being on camera. We're over being on Zoom calls. And there's an intensity that comes from having our camera on, right? If you and I are in a meeting or sitting in a coffee shop having a catch up like this, we can look away. We can sip our coffee. We can notice what's happening outside. But when you do that virtually and I stop looking into the camera, it looks like I'm not interested or I'm bored. And so this intensity that has happened and we're sitting so close to the camera, Stacey, we wouldn't sit this close to a human in another meeting, right? So the way we're paying attention in our virtual world is different to how we're paying attention in person. But it's as close as we have right now. And so if you are in a position where you're serving clients, your clients have probably got very used to talking to you by phone or by video. If you're in a business development role, chances are you used to attend networking events and conferences and you did your business development over a meal or on the golf course or at the country club. And so we've had to reinvent the experiences that we create with our clients, with our team. Think about all the team building, Stacey, that has had to change, right? We used to wander into the office, wander by someone's cube. We would sit in the lunchroom. We could catch up for a drink after work. All of the team building that we used to do, the way we used to show others our attention and our affection changed. Now it's all through that little camera lens. So lots of things have had to be modified in our virtual world. Yes. How do you drive accountability to attention and paying attention, which in the end pays. How how do you drive accountability with employees because they're the ones that have to pay attention to customer needs? You know, I think one of the things we have to all think about, when I wrote the book, Attention Pays, what I realized was public accountability drives private accountability. You know this to be true. It could be freezing cold on the East Coast in January, but you decided to start a new workout routine. So you decided to join a gym. Well, when we used to be able to join gyms, you decided you were going to meet a friend at the gym on an early cold January morning. You are not going to cancel on your friend because you told your friend I'll meet you at the gym. That's what we do, right? But if you didn't tell your friend you would meet them at the gym and it's freezing cold on a January morning on the East Coast, you're like, oh gosh, no, I think I'll just hit the snooze button and I'll just stay cozy in my bed. And so one of the things we have to think about is that often we are really good at being accountable to others, maybe not always to ourselves. We have accountability built into our businesses. Teams have KPIs, key performance indicators. We have IDPs, individual development plans. Organizations build accountability into our everyday. But we have to also be accountable to ourselves and how we manage our attention. So when you think mm-hmm. about attention management, a component of that is device management. So many of us have an addictive relationship with the devices that we use. And so if someone's not interesting to us, we just grab our cell phone. If someone asks us a question, we Google the answer. If you know, And so what happens is we've made technology more important than people. Where leaders can bring accountability in more is have some conversations with the team around what device management looks like. What's your team charter? What's your agreement amongst each other? Some of my leaders before COVID, they would drop their cell phones in a basket to enter the conference room. And then they'd pick them up on the way out so that they could really ideate and collaborate in an environment that was device-free. Some restaurants in New York, I know that pre-COVID, you could give the cell phone to your maitre d' and as a result, they would take 15% off your check. 
I mean, we're literally paying people to pay attention, Stacey. So when you think about accountability, I think we are often better at doing it for others because we have measurements in place, but we also have to be accountable for how we're managing our attention. Who deserves your attention? What deserves your attention? And how are you paying attention in the world? Love that. I also would say I have an accountability partner in the morning who Mm -hmm. is one of my best friends. We talk every morning and it's 15 minutes and we're both businesswomen and both moms. Mm -hmm. And we, every day, we never know where the conversation is going to go. But the point is, we, we set an intention, we say it out loud and we hold each other accountable. And so I, I it goes that. nicely along with what you said at night about thinking about the next day and, and create your partners, your alignment alliances to help yeah. you. I have an accountability partner and every Monday I send to my goals and every Friday I send to my completion. So we have divided our report into personal and professional. We've been doing this for easily five years now. But what happens is often on a Thursday night, I am scrambling to get things done because I don't want to send her an incomplete accountability plan, right? So having an accountability partner can be a really powerful way, especially if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, because really you're only accountable to your team. And when it's your own company, maybe a business partner, if you have one, but sometimes that's just us. So in my practice, it's just me. And so while I have accountability to my team as the owner, I can also left myself off the hook occasionally. But with my accountability partner, I say to her, this is what I'm committing to this week. And it's good to have someone challenge you and like your friend does every morning is just sometimes question is that the best use of your time is that the best use of your talent we can do the same things for those of you who are listening in your corporate we can do the same things whenever I keynote with clients I always ask them to have accountability partners in the room so part of my keynote all my clients know this is I ask people to declare something they will do differently as a result of us spending time together And I have a whole process that I teach people before I even speak with them, during my time with them and afterwards. Because accountability, it's not just a once-off thing. It's a mindset that you can create. So if you're trying to build that in to elevate the experiences that your team is delivering to your clients or that you as a leader are delivering to your team, you've got to build in some accountability to make that happen. Love that. Well, You also speak about and write about folding time. What's that about? I had mentioned to you earlier that when I started my career, I was very focused on productivity. So many, many, many years ago, I published a book called Folding Time. How do you achieve twice as much in half the amount of time? In my research for that book, I interviewed 100 CEOs and they were all saying very similar things. They were saying things like, Neen, there's never enough hours in the day. Or there's so much to do, I don't even know where to focus. Or they were saying, I'm exhausted. Now, my CEOs today could say those exact same things, right? But what I realized when I wrote that book, and something that was a little controversial at the time, was I had said, you can't manage time. Time management is out the window. What I believe is that we have to think about time very differently. Yes, we have to be accountable for our time. But we have to engage our attention and we have to leverage our energy because when we do that, we invest in the right activities. We become a person of integrity who does what they say they're going to do. And that's how we have an impact in the world. So the whole Folding Time book is based on the model that talks about how do you be more accountable for your time? How do you really make sure that you are 
very much engaging your attention in the right way and how you leveraging your energy. That's what the whole book is about. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. I also believe as leaders, we have to carve out time and space for people because just having a a talk yesterday about empathy Mm. and people realize, okay, empathy is a real thing and we need more of that in the workplace, but you can't get more empathy without space and time to be able to slow down and feel. You need both. Yeah, the best lesson I ever had in the whole area of attention was from my five-year-old friend. I was sitting in the kitchen, his mom and I were having coffee and he and I were debating. We were in a very, very heated debate about who is cooler. Is it Superman or Batman? I mean, five, right? And so again, I went in this debate. I was trying to talk to his mom. I was trying to have a coffee and he kept inserting himself into the conversation. He kept asking me all these questions and I was answering him, but he got really mad. And Donovan is his name. And Donovan was like, you're not listening to me. And I was like, oh, I am listening to you. This was your question. He was my, here's my answer. He got so mad at me, Stacy. He jumped in my lap. He grabbed my face in his tiny little hands. He turned it towards him and he said this, me, listen with your eyes. Ooh. He was five. Ooh. We as leaders need to think about how do we listen with our eyes more? Because in order for us to have more empathy, to have more appreciation, to truly pay intentional attention, we have to listen with our eyes. Now, what that means for us as leaders is we do have to create a space where we're not doing all the talking, where we're sitting in a place where it's safe for people to talk to us. I cannot tell you how many client facilitation conversations I've been having over the past few months where we've been talking about mindfulness about mental health, about burnout, about overwhelm, about all the things that people are truly experiencing. As At the time of recording, as we're coming through this global pandemic, there is a level of social anxiety that we hadn't experienced before. Some people have been phenomenally isolated. At the time of recording, my baby brother, who lives in Melbourne, Australia, is on day 259 of lockdown. I'm not talking about you can go to a restaurant and just wear a mask. I'm talking about confined within the walls of their apartment. And so when you think about how people are experiencing what is happening at a global level, it's very different for all of them. Now more than ever before, we need empathy because we can't compare our situation to someone else's and we can't put our experience on someone else's. We have to be in a place where we extend grace and kindness to everyone we meet because you never quite know what's going on for that person. Listen with your eyes. That is so powerful and makes so much sense, but the adult brain doesn't always think that way. (laughs) The adult brain is always looking for the answer. And so listen with your eyes is my most quoted line in all of my keynotes. It's the thing that people tweet out, share. It's definitely something that I'm very well known for. There's a whole chapter in my book about listen with your eyes. But I think what happens as leaders is so often we don't listen. We're listening to respond rather than listening to listen. And what we have to switch is we have to listen to what someone's saying, recognize that you heard them, 
and then help them. Sometimes people just need someone to listen to them. They don't need an answer. So we also have to teach people how we want them to listen for us. You might have the privilege of sharing your life with someone. And I know with my own partner, what I sometimes say to him is, I don't need you to solve this. I just need to talk it through. So can you just listen? So we need to sometimes have those conversations with people in our life. Or I might say to my girlfriends, here's my situation. I really need your help in this area. What do you think? And then I have to listen as they give me their thoughts. Sometimes we say to people, hey, can you give me your feedback? No, that's not really what you want. Often what happens is you ask for feedback, but you want praise. So if you want praise, you need to say to people, tell me what was really good about this. But if you really want feedback, you might say, tell me specifically how I might change this, right? So I think we also have to teach people how do we want them to listen to us so that we can also not put our assumptions on others or our communication style on others or the way we pay attention on others. We need to help everyone as adults say, hey, this is what would be really helpful for me. As adults, we're constantly looking to serve and help, and especially people who are in the customer experience industry. We're always looking for the solution or the right way or the better way, and how do we differentiate ourselves? One of the best things that we can do is just ask, how would you like me to help you? How would you like me to listen in this conversation? How would you like me? If someone says to me, Nien, can you give me your feedback? And I will say, do you want my feedback? just to double check. And then they'll say, yeah, I just ask. And I often say, how would you like me to deliver my feedback? Mm. Because sometimes people are very sensitive about what they've just shared, or they're really scared about what they've just shared, or they're really proud of what they've just shared. So you really got to think, ask more questions, and then listen to what people say. That's how we can help each other. Yes. And I also believe that As a parent, I've often, when my kids were younger, I'd say in school, you need to advocate for yourself. You need to ask for what you need. And as an adult, I'll never forget one of my um, members on my team said, I'm having a really hard time right now mentally. I need a timeout. Not meaning like I'm, I'm done working, but I need a timeout, just like kids need a timeout, an adult needed a timeout. And I gained such respect because the person was able to advocate for themselves and clue me in to how to help them. Yeah, I think what's also really interesting as leaders right now is as we come through a situation we've never led through before, right? So some businesses are choosing a remote first strategy where they're going to predominantly be remote and the people will come and get together occasionally. Some people are choosing an office first policy. So they go into the office first and remote will be an option. But one of the things that has been elevated is this whole consciousness around mental health. Mental health is physical health. If someone breaks their arm, you can see the pain they're in because there's a cast, a protective layer around the bone, for example, that is broken. But when someone is mentally struggling, we have no outward visibility into what's really happening. And so we have to make it safe for people to say, I just need a mental health day. I need a mental health afternoon. And we need to elevate the conversation of mental health. Some of the best performing companies that I have the privilege of working with have been giving resources to their team members to talk about mental health, giving them helplines, giving them advisory services, giving them coaching. So they have the safety of talking about that. 
but it's a new time in business as we start to really listen in for the cues. And historically, people would just, you know, battle on and they would just do the commute and they'd do all the things and maybe they'd have their meltdown on the weekend. And you used to have to schedule your meltdowns, right, for when you weren't in front of a client. And now what we're realizing is that one of the things the global pandemic has given people is the opportunity to step back and assess the lifestyles they have, to assess the way that they want to show up in the world, to assess how they want to serve people in the world. People have moved. People have changed jobs. People have lost people that they love deeply, furry babies, family members. And so it just, whenever these things happen, it gives us pause. And then we need to think, well, how does that affect my team? How does that affect my leadership team? How does that affect my clients? And even think about how in the customer experience world, our clients have got used to a very different way of doing business. So there has been so many benefits to what has happened from a reassess point of view, but there's still so many things people are working through right now. I have to say, in terms of paying attention, something I paid attention to recently when I was going to the office, and we have a hybrid workplace right now. I hadn't been there in a long time, obviously. The amount of thinking that I had to do, <laughs> I, I am amazed from getting dressed, the Mm -hmm. mundane tasks of getting dressed, packing a lunch, getting in the car, (laughs) getting to my destination. I I can't believe how much energy and thinking that Mm -hmm. whole process is that we used to take 100% for granted and didn't, and wasn't tired by it. Now, reflection of that, I, I am amazed by this. Stacey, I often work with my clients on developing systems of attention. I believe that systems direct our attention. So we need to create systems of attention because systems create freedom, right? The more systems you have in place, the less you have to pay attention to those type of things, right? And so I have so many systems in my life and listeners have so many systems as well. They maybe just don't call it that. I guarantee people listening to this, they probably take a shower the exact same way every single day. You just have a shower for You have a system for having a shower. It's just what we call it. But I think what's happening is all the systems we used to have, the commute, the getting dressed, the lunch preparation, the meeting etiquette, whether we just shook hands when we met someone for the first time, all the systems we used to know to be true are now being questioned. They're now, we're not even sure. That's why the social anxiety has increased so much. Now for the pandemic, what has happened is The introverts are loving life. Like they're like, this could work just fine for me. So some of them are really enjoying that because the human connections they have are much more quality and they're being able to serve that need. The extroverts went crazy because they were missing so many people around them. But even my introverts are missing things, missing people. My extroverts have also found this space where they're enjoying some of the quiet. They're enjoying some of the recovery time that happens to be alone. So you're absolutely right. All of the things, the systems we used to have in place, we're now starting to question them. And and we have to think about do I shake this person's hand? Can I hug anyone? Do I go near them? Like, and depending on where you live in the world, 
it's being experienced very differently. Even in the United States, the way that people have experienced the pandemic is very different from one state to the next. And so we have to think we can't put our expectations and requirements on other people because we don't know what they have been exposed to or what their experience has been. So we're getting to the end, which is coming too fast because I have so much more to say and ask you, but I will narrow it down. When you talk about systems, are you also talking about habits? Are they one and the same? I think systems are very thoughtful and maybe once it becomes a system, it can become a habit. So when I teach people what we call systemized thoughtfulness, which you can find out a lot more about in the book, but I believe that we need to create advocates, clients, for example, who advocate for us. You've already mentioned advocating for yourself. And so there's a whole process in the book about systemized thoughtfulness. And one of the things we need to think about is that when we create these systems and they become part of our business strategy, our business culture, our business charter, then yes, they become something everyone gets used to. One of the things I love about habits is that it's a repeatable behavior. That's the thing I love about systems. One of my favorite books is Jen's book, Atomic Habits, where he's talking about just little tiny micro decisions or little things you can do. I think sometimes organizations overthink things. They think, oh my gosh, I have to put in a whole new system. But what if you just tried to change one step in the process to see what the implications of that was? And then when that's working, see what the next step is. So we have to constantly be reviewing the systems of attention that we have in place. And hopefully, Stacy some of those things become habitual for our team members. So therefore our clients receive an even more elevated experience when they work with us. Last two questions. One is professional and one's more of a personal view. So professionally, Mm -hmm. if I had tons of CEOs and business owners in my room right now and leaders, what is the one takeaway, the one thing you want them to know? I would repeat again that we have to pay intentional attention because when leaders are intentional with their attention, they drive profitability, they drive productivity, and they drive accountability. This is all about focusing on what matters. And we all know that people matter. So when you really think about looking after your own people in your organization, they're going to look after your clients, your customers, your patients, your members, whoever it is that you serve in the world. It's always going to be about people because attention is all about connection. So pay attention to what really matters. Beautifully said. And finally, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self what would you tell, based on what you know now, your young, younger you, what would you say? I would probably say, you know, stay the path. You're absolutely doing what you have been called to do. You're definitely, imagine what life is going to be like 10 years from now. So I would say stay the path. Focus on what you're really good at. Keep inspiring people. Keep motivating people. Keep being who you are because it's totally okay to be different. It's totally okay to have a different perspective because Mm. at some point in your life, that different perspective is going to be really helpful helpful for other people. And staying the path, by the way, in my mind also means trust your instinct because we don't know 
especially then, we don't know. So your your instinct really led you on the path and you right. trusted that process. Yeah. Well, I know people are going to want to find you. So it's a bragging moment, which I'll put in the show notes. So where can they find you and reach you? The great thing is, there's only one Neen James online. So if you Google me, N-E-E-N, Neen James, you will find me. So you can find me on my website. I play on Instagram where you can see my adventures every day. Or we can connect professionally through LinkedIn. It's very easy. There's only one Neen James. Well, you are definitely special and a gift. And I appreciate you being on my show and giving to to the world such incredible wisdom. So thank you. Thank you. It's an absolute privilege. Thank you for everything you're doing to help all of our listeners differentiate themselves so that they can elevate the experiences as well. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.